Blog Talk Radio. No. Doctor. No. no. <laughs> now, Dr. Deb Carlin and Dr. Charlie Cartwright here on Blog Talk Radio for being the influencers that we believe that we are for a show called Freedom Fridays. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning. How are you? I am, you know, I'm happy. I'm excited. It's Friday. I've got I've got a nice day of work booked. I've had a great week of productive work, which makes me really happy. And <clears throat> I'm looking out at the lake, and I keep thinking I can get out there really soon and be in the water swimming. Not yet, though. It's too cold. <laughs> Even with a wetsuit, you'd have to be an idiot to get out there. No offense to my few friends I've seen out there in the water. They're there for about 10 minutes, maybe five. And they're like walking back real fast to get to the sea. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, so what do you, how was your week and what do you got on the books for today? I want to know everything that's going on for you. So it was a good week. Um, had some really good conversations with clients, uh, caught up with some people. I hadn't talked with in a while, and I I need to <clears throat> be more diligent about that because everybody's so doggone busy. Yeah. And and so if you let the busyness get in the way, you'll never uh, get in touch with anybody, right? Because everybody's right. so busy, including yourself. So you just got to cut out time to do that. So that really felt good to catch up with a few folks and uh, felt like this week was very productive. Learned some things added some new wrinkles to my training. And it's so interesting because my training. What kind uh, of training? Athletic training? No, no, just with leaders. Oh. Talking or personal coaching, things that I talk to groups about. There's just levels to it. And I always I always like to go deeper, right? Oh, I yeah. Have understanding that my, my audience does. But it's always amazing to me when I – when I cross another layer and go even deeper. And that's exciting because it opens up additional learning that solidifies what you already know and makes you more effective. Isn't that beautiful? It's all about being more effective, right? So um, it's fascinating. And I I started reading this book. I've started it two or three times, but finally made it through. The first part of it is brutal because it's so – dry and detailed, but you need all that information so that you can understand what the, talk, what the author's talking about. Who's the author? What are you reading? Um, I can't remember the author's name, but the book is called Power Versus Force. Mm, oh, my God. Boy, that's like right. You are walking right into our agenda for today because our last show last week, talking about you and your anger and your anger energy and what that's done for you and what's that held back for you. Yeah. Anger versus force. I mean... So it is, that is a great segue because I, like I had told you last week, my fear, suspicion, apprehension was about how I'd lost all of this energy because I wasn't driven off that. Well, this science is is, uh, based on calibrating energy. Oh, yeah. Talk about this and how uh, anger calibrated like a 150, right? And... And it was talking about all these different. And again, I'm early on in the book. Tell me the name of the book again. Uh, 
power versus force. Okay. I'll double, let me double check that because I actually have it pulled up on my phone. By David Hawkins. You found it? Yeah, I sure did. So, anyway talks about all these different emotions where they calibrate at. And so oh, man. you're calibrated 150. Well, love calibrated at 500. That's right. Okay? Yeah. Well, the thing about it is he talked about something. I can't remember which one it was. Maybe it was empathy calibrated like 300. But he said it's not twice as powerful as 150. It's 10 times because each level goes up exponentially. Exactly. So it's, you know, it's 10 times more powerful. So I don't know how much more powerful love is than anger. You're talking my language. But what happened there was all of a sudden, you know, I get all this energy, right? Because I had a false belief that was really holding back <clears throat> my energy level because I believe that, you know, because I'm trying to really work hard at operating out of a, out of love, right, and care and compassion for other people. Love zone. But in my mind, I believed that that was a weaker energy source when in actuality it's exponentially stronger. Yep. So guess what happened to my energy? Yep. <laughs> it went through the roof. Isn't that awesome? It is amazing how you can believe something and then your your body follows that, right? We've talked about it. Your That's body right. follows that. So, right. But I had a false belief about that, and so that was a freedom. Oh, you're making me so happy. Let me tell you something. Um, So have we talked about heart math with each other? Yeah. Okay. That is heart math. That is the science of heart math is it's measuring that. Here's something really groovy. When we get coherence between our mind and our heart, (laughs) we just start to spill over love. And listen to this. They've measured another measure. You have you have an energy, a frequency, a, a microcurrent that has got a circumference around you of about three feet. Mm-hmm. So when you say, I love being around this person, their vibe is just like something. It's really true. It, yeah. And so, you know, when people are together and, and you know, like when like when you and I first met with, with Gary Baker. Yeah. We had so much fun. I mean, Gary just, I remember him sitting there going, this is great. I'm glad I introduced you two to each other because we both, even though you think that you were in a really, you know, like tough, you know, tough space, right? I thought, oh, this is so much fun. <laughs> Here's this man with a shiny forehead and a big white smile, just like, you know, great teeth and laughing and, and talking and everything. This is great. And so, why not do this show, right? I mean, it took us years to get here, but that energy is so real and we can spill it over on everything. It's the work of HeartMath. It's the work of Bruce Lipton and Joe Dispenza. It's the work of, of Wayne Dyer, which is I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, oh, okay, shaved head, black outfit, Wayne Dyer. <laughs> <laughs> you are Wayne Dyer reincarnated. No, it, it's uh, we thing. we need to I do that. About wearing black is it's slimming, right? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Here's what I say to people, especially women, when they're you know 
like walking around the 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 beach and they've got on their black bathing suit because somebody gave them some nonsense that it was slenderizing. It's like you're still naked, you're still fat. <laughs> you know, I mean, hot call kettle black here. <laughs> what are you worried about slimming for? You're an athlete. Yeah, and actually, I um, I got back because my routine was just so disrupted. Oh, gosh. COVID, and so I got back. Now the weather's nicer. I got back to my walking. Uh, how far are you walking every day? Uh, so I look, and this month I've averaged two and a half miles a day in April. But typically, I'll, I like to get in three and change, you know, somewhere around three, three, three and a half. And so I've averaged two and a half. Um, miles a day in April, which is which is good. So if I can be around two and a half miles, that's a that's a really great number. It's really good for your body, but it's not taxing. You see, right? Yes, exactly. Because sometimes what happens is people go all the way over here, and and they're actually taxing. They really wrecking their body. Yeah, and it doesn't. I read a some research, it's been a few years ago, shared it with a friend of mine that's like an ultra-fit athlete, you know, those ultra-endurance type. And they looked at the longevity. Oh, really? The, the people that run those really long distances, yeah, like marathons and yeah. long, versus sedentary people, yeah. there was no difference. Oh, my gosh. So you're actually... You know, you're damaging. You're 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 doing so much. You're damaging. So that optimal place is where you optimize your health, but you're not damaging your limbs and your joints and things like that. And putting undue stress, right? Because you know, there's a certain level of stress you want to put on your cardiovascular system that helps you. But when you, you know, it's a law of diminishing returns. There's a there's a peak, and then all of a sudden you're you're going the other direction. So I think that walking is is arguably the best fat burning exercise in the world and as far as low impact high return it's one of the greatest things you can do for your body right up there with swimming right exactly because swimming is completely buoyant so you know one of the things that that i was talking with another another client about over the course of the week is the fact that when I, I, I create these these audio files for meditations, and I'll do personalized ones for people, given what it is that their circumstances are. And and he works out, and he was saying, I, you know, like I can't I can't do that one meditation when when I'm working out. And I said, that's because it's not for working out; it's for like float space, you know, just like zone out. So if you're like you know on the elliptical or Peloton or something, and you're listening to this. You're gonna all of a sudden start slowing down, you know. So I'll make you something for that. But he said um, something really interesting to me because I had told him about the work of Dr. Dean Ornish in the Open Your Heart program, and Dean Ornish and I were doing our research at about the same time I was doing my dissertation, and we were both looking at cardiovascular disease. And the thing that really impacts it the most is the diet, is it exercise? No, it's your mind. So he had a guy in his program, he was eating a low-fat diet, he was doing this, he was doing that, he was, he was, you know, out doing his exercise, but he wouldn't do the meditations. 
he got really angry when it came time to do the meditations. He just wouldn't do them. And he would go, everybody would be sitting down getting ready to do a meditation. And he'd say, I'm not doing this crap. I'm going for a run. And he would kind of scoff at everybody like, you know, you, you know, you're going to sit there and you're going to do this stupid thing. I'm going to go out. I'm going to work my heart. Well, no, he didn't. He was so angry. And I remember at the beginning of this documentary about his research, about Dr. Ornish's research, I thought to myself, that gentleman is not going to make it through the program. And he didn't. He died. He had a massive heart attack while he was running. So, so, Ornish with an O-R-N-I-S-H. So, put in my phone so I can do the research after this. Absolutely. So here's the thing. When you are working out and, and you're and you're doing a hard physical activity, when you've got that crush it, kill it, do it, do it, don't be a wimp, keep on going, keep on going. Oh, my dear Lord in heaven, what you're doing to your heart, you know? I mean, when I ran, when I was a runner, I would get out and I would, and I and I'd run and I just was like free with the birds, you know. My endorphins would kick in and I would just run and it wasn't hard push. I ran with two guys, one of whom I ended up marrying, which was really kind of fun. I, <laughs> and, and they were both really tall. They were over six feet. I'm I'm five seven. They were like six six three and six five, you know. So I'm running with these two big guys. And we would run on the same surface. It was flat. It was right around, along Lake Michigan. And I would hold on to their arms, you know, right above their elbows. And I would just hold on. And I'd say, okay, I'm going to do it now. And they knew that I was going to close my eyes and run. My legs had turned into rubber bands. And, oh, my gosh, Charlie, talk about peace. It was the best transcendence I've ever experienced. But a lot of people don't do that. So when they're working out, instead of getting that endorphin high and that rush and that happiness spirit, they're banging it, banging it. So I'm so glad that you're talking about the ways in which, as a man, as an athlete, the freedom of walking and taking your mind into a different place. So where do you, where do you take your mind when you're, when you're on your walk? So that's an interesting question, and it just depends on what's going on. I have music. I have different playlists. That so you, I have one, one you're playlist. About to... It's like contemplation. Oh, really? So okay. I have that one, and and so it's, it's a lot of different, very mellow tunes. Oh, cool. I have like uh, one of my favorite artists to listen to is Inya. Ah, yes. Right. Yes. That music. She has a lot of instrumental stuff, but that voice is just beautiful like angelic yeah and so and then i think about future goals i think about putting myself there you know driving that car Mm -hmm. the windows are open on vacation oh yeah it's awesome leaving the hotel head to a restaurant yeah just there's very peaceful things like that or really focusing on the lessons you know, that I've learned recently because every day there's a lesson, right? Oh gosh, yes. And uh, and then sometimes those lessons are just so profound that it, it's like, wow, this is going to change my life going mm-hmm. in a positive way because it's all about incremental changes. And then in the aggregate of those changes, you have 
significant changes in your attitude, mood, health. And it's, it is interesting, Dr. Deb, how when we have changes in our mood and our attitude, then that ripple is massive in every area of our life. And so I've really looked at that, and it's, it's really amazing, uh, the process of that and understanding how to do that over time. And when you work at it, there's a point in time where you start doing some of it automatically mm-hmm. right? because you reprogrammed yourself. And then you're unconsciously doing it. Yeah, right, right. That's the best, right? Now you're on to something. I was yeah. thinking the other day, I was working <clears> on <throat> book. Yeah. On power versus force. And he was talking about, you know, it was a different book, Switch on Your Brain. It was Switch on Your Brain. Mm. She was talking about, the author was talking about multitasking, the myth of multitasking. Oh, yeah, right. You know, you're not efficient when you're doing that and you're not giving justice to either activity. And so I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm getting ready. I'm getting, you know, I'm I'm getting ready for my day. I'm shaving, brushing my teeth, all those things. And I'm listening to the audiobook. And my multitasking was done. I thought, you know what? All this preparation, all of this getting my clothes on, it's 100% automated. I'm not even thinking about it, right? It's automate mm-hmm. so because our our mind likes to do that right automate as many so it frees up your conscious mind and make sure you're okay and everything. so when we get to that level with our mindset where we automatically float into these areas where it's about positivity it's about appreciation it's about understanding learning experiencing that's the holy grail that right? is the holy grail that's right it's interesting you know, <laughs> the problem I have is sometimes I'll just I'll go into that space and it's just habitual and I'll and I'll put these clothes on. It's like, what am I doing? This is not what I intended for the day. <laughs> and then I have to change. Or I'll be driving. This is the best and the worst of it. I'll get in my car, <clears throat> I know where I have to go. I knew it before I left my house. I get in my car and I'm I'm down the road and it's like, uh, no, wait a second, <laughs> I need to go this other way because it's so automatic. I am so in love with my beaches. I get in my car and it's like my car tells me where to go. You know, I really don't want to have an intuitive automobile because if I do, I'll never get anything done. I will only go to the beach, which is terrible. But when we flip into that mode of that habit, it really is spectacular, isn't it? Because you then, you just have the ability to do it and allow your mind to go to other places. So what else does she tell you in this, in this book? Yeah, it just, it's just a lot of, you know, understanding how, you're, how, you, how important your mindset is and how, you know, it impacts every aspect of your health you know, at a cellular level. Mm-hmm. And then she talks about epigenetics in there too. Oh yeah, it's fascinating. Very powerful. And I also understand that, hey, you know what? There's some of those things that are passed down to me that I need to, you know, overcome. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was just I was just at breakfast with a cousin of mine yesterday. And we're just talking about the history of the family which there just hasn't been a lot of success in the family 
what I would term success, you know, a lot of discord, a lot yeah. of, you know, just anger and just negative emotions. And then, of course, negative outcomes. And I remember saying to him, because, you know, I'm looking back at my childhood and thinking, where did this just didn't come out of nowhere? Yeah, right. I remember my grandmother on my dad's side, so his mother, her attitude. I mean, she and she went to church regularly, but she was not friendly at all. Really? Very just. Uh, was she mean or angry or what? Both, I think. Really? You know, both. And some of the things she said to me as a kid, I'm like, why would you say that to your grandchild? You know, looking back now, and. And so I see those attitudes she passed down to yeah. a lot of my cousins. They they perpetuate that attitude, and they're saying those things to their kids. So powerful. Saying those things to their grandkids. God, it is so powerful. To really think that, hey, you know what? This never was right. It's not right now. It never was right, and I'm not going to continue this. Yeah. And so, But it takes a lot to get to that level, unfortunately, to, to, to stand back and say, wow. Why is there all this dysfunction here? Yeah. And why isn't anyone stopping the train and getting off? Yeah. Right? So it's fascinating to look back at those things. Do you know what? One of the things I think is really fascinating is my mother and father, my dad was an only child. My grandmother came over from Sweden by herself on about, she's 15. How in the world did she do that? She came to New York. She came to Chicago. She settled in. She started supposedly, supposedly, there's a couple different versions of my grandmother, which is very interesting. My father thought she was a peasant. I said, Daddy, look at the photographs from Sweden. <laughs> this, this clothing and the jewelry, you know, the whole family, there was there was wealth there. I mean, we don't know the story, you know. So Anna Olivia Anderson, I mean, what a gorgeous name, right? So she comes over here, she starts a bakery and a restaurant, and she imports her sisters. So she, you know, like, how'd you do all that? One sister died before she got here. But these women, when my grandmother got married and had my dad, he was the prince of the Swedish community here in Chicago. And he grew up with an elegance and a confidence and a kindness and a, you know, knew what he wanted. When he met my mother, it was like, boom. And I think I told you that story. I mean, they met through a, a childhood friend of his that was my mother's best friend. And he had dated this woman a little bit because they had grown up together, right? She was madly in love with him. But about 15 minutes after being in the room with my mother, he said, Joyce, you know, I need to talk to you for a minute. Can we step over to the side here? And he said, you know, I just need to tell you, you know, great growing up with you. We'll always be close. We can't, we can't continue to date. I'm, I'm getting married. And she said, I didn't even know you were seeing somebody. Who are you getting married to? And he said, your friend Loretta that you just introduced me to. <laughs> and she's like, what? You met her 15 minutes ago. What, what are you talking about? And he said, that's all it took. He knew exactly what he wanted. Now, my mother of Polish descent, Polish, Roman Catholic, Actually, now we found out we're not Polish, we're Austrian, which that's such a great story. Um, the uh, I had a cousin, my mother's cousin in his 90s, tell me before he passed away, I just need you to know, I could never tell your mother this, but we're not Polish, we're Austrian. And I said, thank you for not telling her, but she would have loved it. 
we've sung the entire score of The Sound of Music in the Hills for Life. I think we knew we were Austrian just intuitively. Anyway, my mother grew up completely abused, abused by her extended family, brutalized by her father, inappropriate, alcoholic, polygamist man. I mean, he had so many wives. I lost count after about seven. It was horrible to her and, and to her sister and brother. She used to run away from home. He did unspeakable things to her. And my mom, you would, I mean, you would not ever know what had happened to her if she didn't have times and ways to speak of it because she broke the cycle. She broke that cycle. Now, her sister and brother, did they break the cycle? You know, not so much. And they married spouses who kind of fit into the unhealthy mix. My mom, just like you said, you know, you get an awareness, you see a different way to do life, and you do it. She knew love. She knew the power of love and gentility and not allowing that horror that she knew to come down onto her children. I mean, she said right things. She said loving things. She she taught us lessons. It's really funny because my sister and brother and I, it's like the three of us are raised by different parents because their memories and mine are, well, <laughs> completely apart. But there's six and 12 years difference between my sister and brother and I. So good for you for breaking the cycle. I didn't have a cycle to break. Good. Uh, that's good. So there's a lot of cycles out there in the world for sure. Well, I shouldn't say I didn't have a cycle to break. I had other cycles to break. Yeah. You know, so we all have stuff to do. But isn't it amazing when we know that we have so much capacity? We don't have to be looking out the rearview mirror behind us, behind us, behind us. And people say things, you know, like, for instance, what sparked me was you were talking about people saying the things to their children that were said to them, they're unconscious. You know, I remember, I, I say things, and it's like, where's my mother? <laughs> my mother used to say that. It's coming out of my mouth. I didn't even know I knew that. Or something that my dad said. I even say things that I heard my sister say, you know, because she had almost a motherly influence on me being, you know, 12 years older. But do you hear yourself doing that, Charlie? Years ago, I did. I didn't realize I was doing it. And then one day, went back, came back to visit my parents. I heard my my dad talking to my mother and couldn't believe it. Like I'm like, wow. Really? That's exactly the things I'm saying. I, I was shocked. Really? So at that point, then I, you know, that's wow. You know, that's probably been twenty. 25 years ago, probably. And so at that point, I started the long journey of un- undoing that, unra- unraveling that. So I think today it'd be a very, very, it'd be an extremely rare occasion that you hear something come out of my mouth that my dad said. And there's a few things that he said that made sense, and I'll repeat those. The rest of it, are- yeah, right. That's what I was gonna say. Don't recycle it. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know, the thing I know about you from the very first time I met you is that you you practice mindfulness. You're you consider what you say before you say it. 
Yeah, and it's, it's just so important to do that. And, of course, you know, it's something I learned to do, right? I didn't always, unfortunately, practice that. But it, it's just so much better. And there's just – there's a friend I follow on LinkedIn, and he made a post one day, and he talked about sometimes it's more important to be effective than it is to be right. That is absolutely – 100% accurate, and God love you for saying it. It's amazing, right. isn't it? Do you want to be effective or do you want to be right? Yeah. And, and so, and then when you're effective, you can really do both. Yeah. Right? Yeah, right, exactly. So and a lot of that has to do with how you respond to people or how you engage them, with them. So. so one of the things that I, I wrote about our show for today or I should say our our staff did, is that we would continue from last week the idea of peace, of anger shifting, and anger shifting in peace with regard to racial and any other demographic being a unifying theme, not a separation between people. And my question is, can people envision it? I got really lit on this this past week because the Archdiocese in the Catholic faith has come up with program on racialization. And I'm looking at their agenda and I'm thinking, you know what? If you think that this is going to unify people, you're getting a bunch of white people together who are going to then encounter black people and have a whole different trajectory. And by the way, my parish in St. Louis, in University City, right in between University City and Clayton in the city, takes care of uh, what used to be a Notre Dame uh, school with a church and a gymnasium and a, just a beautiful structure in Wellston. Wellston, Missouri is one of the worst black ghettos in the country. I I spent almost a year there working with the, the sisters who run this incredible place. They bring people in, you know, they do all kinds of things. And, and the head nun, who was Reverend Mother for the, like, <laughs> the country, I mean, she was amazing, I had no clue. She taught me a lot of things about receiving and, you know, how we set people up and put them on the trajectory of success, peace. And I, and I ran a couple of women's groups. And um, I'm thinking, what is it that's going to happen in this education process? I mean, are, the, are, the, are now all the people from my parish going to do something different? They're already doing great. But, but they've got this sort of apologetic attitude that really ticks me off. Like, what are you apologizing for? What are we apologizing for? Can't we just come together and recognize one another's differences? And like, I need help with stuff. Do I, do I get help or not get help because of the color of my skin or my gender or my age? I don't want to either be allowed in because of it or kept out because of it. You know, it's an interesting thing. I remember a couple of years ago, there was a problem in the city, because I don't want to 
embarrassed anyone or anything like that, but I was bidding a job for a city, and it was to help them with their workplace safety culture. Okay. And there was all this emphasis on proving that I was a minority business owner. Proving that you were a minority business owner? Yeah. And I was like, well, isn't my driver's license sufficient? Yeah. Right. And so there are all these things and so protocols and most certain amount of bids and this and that and the other thing. And I remember, of course, I didn't get this bid, okay? Spoiler alert, I didn't get this bid. But I remember writing a letter and saying, listen, the African-American man, I'm bidding this job. I want to get this job because I'm the best consultant. For no other reason. If I'm not the best consultant, that's fine. I believe I am. Yeah. I'm not interested. I don't want to fill out anything. I didn't, I wouldn't fill it out. I'm not doing it. Yeah. I'm not going to get a job because of that because it's not right. That's not right either. You and so I are the same on that. It's not right to withhold opportunities. We know what's going on for years to withhold opportunities for people because of race. But it's also not right to give someone an opportunity just because of their race. Exactly. Just look, listen, have the qualifications, hire the best person or group, or, and that will all work itself out. That's and, right. Uh, and so I just, I, well, Dr. Charlie, you need to get on these lists and these contracts and government. I'm not doing it. I'm not. Same thing with me being a female. I refuse to do it. And I know those yeah. programs exist. Not, no one's going to be able to say, well, you know, because no, I'm not doing that. Because I don't believe in that. That is not. Exactly. Where we are right now. Yeah. So the programs are so successful. Why do we still have all the discord? That's part of it. Exactly. That's a part of the discord. So for me, it has to be that. And then I think there's a lot of well-meaning groups out there that want to bring equity and all these things. But I remember having this conversation, you know, and I'm proud that I've done some work with law enforcement, right? You know, I'm proud of that because I want to be a part of the solution. I don't just complain about it. You and me both. So, but I remember being in the room with all these officers, and they're all white officers. And you know, and I said, think about this. And here's a question I have for you: If you want to learn about African Americans, African Americans, period, the African American experience, or you want to learn about African American men, currently, where are you getting your information? CNN, Fox. So you need a living, breathing person, and now we have a conversation. Yeah. And so when you when you make all these policies, here's what we're going to do, and the groups you want to impact aren't even a part of the discussion, then right. how can you really know what the issues are? Exactly. And, uh, and then, of course, caveat to that, you need to have someone that's going to give a, you know, a level approach. A, a decent human being. Level yes. And say, hey, you know, here's some opportunities where we can come together and understand one another, and uh, and then it just goes it goes a long way. And so it was a great conversation we had, and, and they started opening up and asking questions, and uh, and and I I know that the vast majority of officers want to do their part to keep people safe in all communities of all races. That's what they're seeking to do. And, you know, unfortunately, the actions of a few, you know, really color 
what people see, and it's and that's not right. So, so anyhow, but I think we have to have these discussions, and again, they're not always going to be comfortable and easy and nice and clean and all that. However, the more that we have discussions, meaningful discussions, then the more we're going to see how much we have in common. Right. You know, I made this mistake with a a, a friend of mine uh, about a week ago. They were taking care of one of their kids, and their and their and their child is uh, on the autistic spectrum, and they also have epilepsy, so they have seizures. And they had said to me that they were watching their child very closely because they had had uh, a seizure. And I wrote and said, "Gee, I'm really sorry to hear that. You know, immediately you're both in my prayers." And they wrote back and said, you know, you're really a sweetheart. Thank you. You know, we're just texting. Well, I started thinking about it and I started really feeling about it. And I, and I, and I, <laughs> I wrote again, like the next day. And I said, I sent, I sent a couple of photos in the text, the water, you know, the lake and, and a, and a big floral bouquet that I have over here. Um, and I said, you know, allow this to just, wash over you and eliminate the stress and and you know i i'm i'm putting good thoughts and intentions into you and and your child you know and i just want happiness and peace for you and i i I sent it and i thought you know something i think that i think that i should not have said that and the response i got back was do not feel sorry for me this is my life I like my life. And I, and, and, and I, oh my God, I was so embarrassed. And I thought, first of all, Deb, you weren't invited to be a healing influence here. What you wrote the first time was sufficient. You couldn't leave it alone. You felt like you wanted to do more. Okay. That's your deal. That's your deal, Deb Carlin. You know, you, you have this healing capacity. Don't put it where it's not invited. Or if you do, shut up about it. You don't need to tell anybody that you're doing all this washing, you know, cleansing, you know. Just shut up. And you know what? It was a real awakening for me. So we went back and forth a couple of times. And I I, I paused for a day. And, you know, we were really measured about it. And I said, you know what? I overstuffed my bounds. I don't need to treat you any different way and make you feel like I feel sorry for you. I don't feel sorry for you. I feel compassion because health and well-being is what we all want. But I'm I'm really sorry. And the, and of course the response was you didn't do anything wrong, you know. Okay, but you know what I did. So here's my point about it. What do we do to people when we feel really sorry for him, for them? Like if I say to you, oh Charlie, you know, I feel so bad that you have you know dark skin. I feel so so bad that you're a black man. I I I just you know, you have my complete compassion that you're a black African-American man. And and so would you do this show with me so that we could, you know, like give you an advantage here? You would be like, what in the hell is the matter with you? But we do that. Not we, not me. I'm not included in this. I did the healing thing. That was a boo-boo. But I don't do the rest of it because I think to myself, the minute that you start recognizing all this, you're 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 screwed somehow. You're screwed up. 
when I when I was doing a lot of uh, radio shows and public appearances for my last book, I was on a radio show and a and a and a guy got on there and and he was telling me that uh, we started talking about Ferguson and he said, well, how could you possibly understand anything about the experience of of Black Americans? And I said, how could I not? I, you know, I'm sitting right in the middle of it here. How could I not? And he said, yeah, but obviously, you know. You're you're an, you're an overprivileged, you know, indulged white woman. And I said, how do you know what color I am? We're on the radio. I mean, did you look me up somewhere? And he said, no. And I said, then how do you know? You know, you're accusing me of being racist. And he was accusing me of being racist. He said, um, I can tell by your voice. I said, really? So you profiled me. And I said, by the way, profiled Profiling is is part of what I'm trained to do, and it's not all negative, but it's got a real negative connotation to it. And excuse me, but you don't sound like a black man to me. Are you a black man? Because you just said to me that I couldn't put myself in the shoes of a black person and understand their experience. Are you a black man? And he said, no. I said, what are you talking about? So you're a white guy sitting there blasting me for being a white woman. What are you doing? Can't you and I come together here and just say, you know, we've got to we've got to be compassionate with one another. I mean, like you should be compassionate with me. I should be compassionate with you. What's going on here? And by the way, what does compassion mean? What are we talking about when we're talking about compassion? Doesn't everybody create the life that they want? Well, they, they create the life that they are intentional about. And a lot of times we don't know any better about all the things that you and I have worked on that are self-development, right? So isn't that what we ought to be out here doing? So amazing. It is. Yeah. And, but I think the key is to have the dialogue and, and then there's understanding that gets derived from that. But the dialogue... That's the key. Dialogue. I think you and I should write the programs, Charlie. You know, what I was going to say, Dr. Deb, is that so many groups are monologuing. Aren't they, though? There you go. Dialogue. There's a dialogue. Things can can actually become accomplished. But uh, the monologuing, it goes, it doesn't lead. I saw part of the program that my archdiocese is doing. It's It's a list of of considerations and then questions and I'm like are you are you seriously asking me these things you want me to come into confession I think I think that's what this is designed to do you want me to come into confession privately and publicly get down on my knees and act like I did something wrong I got a twist for you why don't we pretend that Jesus Christ was instead of who we see in the vision let's pretend he was the black guy with dreadlocks how would that change everybody's mind? <laughs> I mean, give me a break. What are we doing here? And and by the way, we have forgotten about every other group. Can we please have sensitivity towards our seniors, too many of whom we've lost in this last year and a half? Yeah. I think don't we have the largest population of seniors now in this country that we've ever had? 
because of the retiring, you know, the baby boomers. Yeah. Baby boomers moving into that space. I think that's the yeah. largest team class I've ever had. I'm a member. <laughs> Which I think is hilarious. You know, it's funny, Dr. Davis. What? I found a researchers and how they group the different generations. <clears throat> so there's several, and they're usually pretty similar, but there's yeah. a few are off a year here and there. I found one that put me in Gen X, so I'm going to claim that. What? <laughs> Gen X? Get out of here! Get out of town! Oh, no! Oh, my gosh. What is the criteria for Gen X? So it's funny because 64 is typically for baby boomers, 64 is the cutoff. But I found one that it was uh, 65. So I said, you know, that's the one I'm going to go with. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. But, but most, most is 64. And then, and then you know, six, then 63. And there's a, a little slide in there where the Gen X. Uh, like, and that's a really small group, by the way. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I found one that said sixty-five. I'll tell you what. I want I want us to take this. Here's here's my plan. I want us to put a program together, and we're gonna call it. You're good at the titles. I mean, you know, we had talked about all different kinds of titles that are out here and the way that you would edit them, and I always like your edits. So we come up with something that is about the racial issue. The racial issue is though there's only one, right? And when we show up, you know, we show up and we say, so here's the opening line. We're the same race. People go, what? And we're here to tell you that race is a non-issue. What? We're here to tell you that age is also a non-issue, as is faith. People would go crazy. But then if what we did was we melded, what are our beliefs about life? What are our beliefs about wisdom? What are our beliefs about love? And what are our beliefs about prosperity? (gasps) You mean to tell me that we all want to have peace and happiness and abundance and love and rest? Really? Okay. Seminar's over. <laughs> it's a 30-minute it's a deal. You walk in, let them see, let them absorb, make some statements, get them talking, and, you know, bring everybody together. And by the way, <clears throat> the only way there's criteria for who can be in the audience. In our application for you to be in the audience, you have to put down, Not we don't care what your name is. But you have to put down your age. Just You have to check the boxes, you know. So we want people in each of these age groups. We want people in each of these racial groups, each of these religious groups. And we want both males and females. What do you think if we would do that? Hmm. Well, be interesting. Oh, wait, two more. We want to, uh, three more. Socioeconomic criteria, intellectual criteria, and Challenge versus not challenge. Like we need some people in wheelchairs, people who are real athletic. Let's bring that group together. How about if we do that? Be a diverse group. And really, 
So then we could maybe talk diversity and how it is. Look, we're all in the same room. Yeah, because I have a friend that's in a wheelchair and has really opened my eyes up to things that I haven't paid attention to in the past. Yep. And it is. Facebook and go look up Katie Rodriguez. She was in a car accident um, 20 some odd years ago or 30 some odd years ago, decades ago. She's in a wheelchair. She's a paraplegic, quadriplegic. She's been a beauty queen since she has been in that wheelchair. There is a pageant for people in wheelchairs, women in wheelchairs. She's gotten married. She talks about how it took her chair her accident in her wheelchair to find the man of her dreams who would love her forever and ever. And he does. Steve absolutely adores her. And they've had this long marriage. But she posts on Facebook. People love her. She's a sweetheart. She's very spirited. And she is who she is. I mean, chair or no. But some of the things that she posts on there are about the ways that people have said some really cruel things to her. And, and, you know, I write it, I write it, I mean, I know her in live time, not just on Facebook. And I'll say to her, Katie, do not let these people do this to you. You can't, you wouldn't if you weren't in that chair. Don't let them do it while you're in that chair. I mean, my goodness. The sensitivities that people don't have to a person's, circumstance that they have no control over. We don't have any control over our demographic. Yeah. Zero. It's, um, it's, it's pretty amazing what sometimes uh, the lack of compassion that people possess. And, but those are things that, you know, it all... It's the amazing thing about the life we live. Things do happen, obviously, that are under unfortunate circumstances, but there's a ton of things. The most, the majority of our life we can control, right? So much yeah. of it. And how we treat other people and interact with other people in situations dictates so many things in our life, our quality of life, our longevity, our relationships. And so I think sometimes when people say mean things, they are they feel like somehow they're advantaged, but they're disadvantaging themselves when they do that because it, it, it really takes a toll on your, on your spirit, on your body, because you're releasing certain hormones. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is detrimental to your long-term health. I was, and it's interesting because I had a boss – at UPS years ago, I was in the sales department, and this guy was just, I don't think his attitude in general was good, first of all. It wasn't just just towards me, but I think it was an exceptionally negative towards me. Okay. He was exceptionally negative towards you? Yeah. And, and then not just in word, but in deed, you know, did things. And one of the things I had to, it ended up in human resources, and, you know, he was reprimanded. 
it changed the rate. It changed my year-end rating. Yeah. And uh, and changed it. He lowered it by forty percent. Whoa! Whoa! Every quarter. Well, you had it. You met once a month. Then it was quarterly. And then at the end of the year, there's no surprise. I mean, because you're meeting every month. Yeah. Right. So by year-end rating, he lowered it. He'd never been a party to those meetings. And if I remember correctly, half of your score was based on your numbers. Then the other half was based on different factors, you know, your, you know, relationships, attitudes, all these things. And so it all came into this. So uh, half of it's objective, half of it's subjective. But he lowered it by 40%. Okay, which, as you can imagine, lowered my rating, right? And so that's how I found out. I didn't even know what happened until I got my raise, and I was like, this, this, this can't be right, because I know my final rating. And so I was curious, because I hadn't thought of that guy in years, and something happened or conversation came up, but I was like, I wonder how he ended up. Oh, yeah, yeah, tell me, tell me. You Google people, right? Yeah. I think he, he passed, he died of cancer. I think he was 50. Wow. Did you get to refute the rating? Um, sort of, not really? Well, the next, it's funny because he was replaced. And he took a different job. He was replaced. And we got a gentleman in from, the guy came in from Atlanta, actually. And he was there for about two weeks. And so they calls me up, and he's in Omaha. I was in Lincoln. I'm going to ride with you. To, I'm riding with you uh, today. I think, I think he's, yeah, he's on my way. I'm riding with you today. Like, like totally out of the blue. So I'm, you know, nervous. I'm like, man, this new guy's coming down here. Riding with me. And uh, so then I'm like, okay, you know, so we're going to go here. Well. Let's go to breakfast. <laughs> okay, we're going to be there. We go to the restaurant. Yeah. Let's never forget it. He's like, can you tell me why you haven't been promoted? This is what he asked me. Really? First question. Really? Um, well, you know, so I started kind of him on, you know, around. Well, I think, you know, the paperwork wasn't on time and this wasn't. Yeah. And he's like, so you really don't know, do you? And I was like, no, I don't, frankly. Yeah. And he said, well, yeah, I talked to all the other managers. They couldn't tell me why either. So effective immediately, you're promoted to, I mean, like. <laughs> you talking to me? Yeah. Oh, Charlie. And, uh. So it all, you know, it all comes back. He was a great boss. You know, I, I left the company not because of him. Yeah. But I ended up leaving the company, but uh, but man, I learned so much from him. It was, it was amazing. I love that. I love it all, that. It all balances out. It just, it just does. And and <clears throat> people that have those attitudes, they don't ride off into the sunset and live right. out their days happily on the beach. It doesn't happen. No, they don't. Well, listen, we're at the tail end of our show. 
This is Freedom Fridays with Dr. Deb Carlin and Dr. Charlie Cartwright. And I'm gonna tell I'm gonna make a proclamation and Charlie doesn't get time to refute it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make a proclamation that the two of us need to team up and create a program based on last week's show and this week's show because America is screaming for it. And screaming for it because if we don't get off of this distraction of race, we're not gonna notice the communism that's taking over our country <laughs> or the socialism or something that's dividing us, making us weird and causing people to think that they can, you know, riot in the streets and all that. Now we got 90 seconds. So anyway, that's my proclamation, Charlie. Any final words? All right. Peace out. Friends, come back and see us again next week and stay tuned. We're going to be doing stuff. Okay, hang with me here.